0: Hear the word of God from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church family. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. I hope it's a great one. May all you men in the church take seriously the call to help the fatherless in our community and the world. May this Father's Day be about that mission more than it's about lounging around and doing nothing. Now, believe me, I love lounging and doing nothing as much as the next man out there. But I don't think it was an accident that Father's Day came during this sermon. Father's Day comes on a day where one of the topics we're talking about is about having compassion for the fatherless. So may this Father's Day and all the ones that come after remind us to have such compassion to the fatherless we're in the second sunday in our series in the book of james james is often called the most practical book of the bible most scholars believe that this book is sort of the new testament version of the book of proverbs it's full of short little teachings that deal with practical matters of living out the christian life and last week we saw that trials will come in life we can count them all as joy because god is good Today, we're going to look at the rest of chapter one. For me, this section of scripture feels a little bit like a checkup that you have with your doctor. You know how everyone's supposed to have like an annual checkup every year with the doctor to make sure everything is going okay? And this may be me showing my age here. All the 20-somethings are like, what? Every year? You're supposed to do what? The more older and wiser ones are like, just once a year? The older you get, the more frequently you need to visit the doctors, you youngins. So just in case you didn't know that, go get a checkup done later on. For me, this passage of scripture reads like a meeting with my doctor, letting me know my spiritual condition. Am I walking with the Lord? That's a really hard, hard to answer question, but this section of scripture seems to make it sound easy. Are you doing what the word says? Do you care for orphans and widows? If the answer is no, then you need to check yourself. It just sounds like check yourself. If the answer is yes, then probably yes, you are. Simple, huh? But actually, there's a little more to that, so we'll dive into that. The Bible teaches that it's possible to claim to be a Christian and yet not be a Christian. James in particular teaches that it's possible to claim to be a Christian and yet not be one. And James will be relentless in his diagnosis of this from this point in James all the way to the end of James chapter two. What is this connection then between this trials from earlier in chapter one to now? Well, I want you to guess, and hopefully you've already seen from last week as you're reading this book of James, that James teaches that trials often reveal to us whether we're that double-minded person that I spoke about last week who does not trust the Lord, who has kind of the world at heart and the things of the Lord at heart, or whether we're single-minded in our faith to the Lord. And towards the end of this discussion of trials, James is already talking to us about the impact of having new birth in us, the change, the difference that it should make in our lives. And so he naturally transitions from that discussion to a discussion of the difference between true Christianity and false Christianity, between true godliness and false godliness, between those who profess to be righteous but aren't and those who are in fact righteous, between those who profess to be religious but aren't and those who are in fact professing the true religion. And so he pursues these goals here. He teaches us at least three things I want us to see today. First, in verses 19 and 20, you'll see that James teaches that true Christianity affects everything in life. James teaches that true Christianity affects everything in life. Secondly, in verses 21 through 25, he'll teach that true Christianity not only hears the word of God, but does the word of God. And in verses 26 and 27, James teaches that true Christianity is both vertical and horizontal. All three of those things he teaches in this passage, let's look at them individually. Number one, true Christianity affects everything in life. Here James makes it clear that true Christianity permeates our relationships, our behavior, everything in life. As far as James is concerned, true godliness is integrated, not segregated. That is to say, it permeates all of our life and relationships. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Isn't it interesting that in diagnosing our claims of Christianity, James goes immediately to the practical issue of a Christian's behavior in relationships. Listening is a relational action. Speaking is normally a relational action, although some people might kind of talk to themselves, and when they do, you kind of wonder about them. Anger is, again, a relational response, an emotional response in the context of a relationship. And James goes right to these things and says, these things must be evidenced in the reality of being a Christian. In other words, in the Christian life, the evidence of new birth, of new life, is found in our relationships, how we act in our relationships. Our speech ought to evidence new life. Our listening ought to evidence new life. Our control of our emotions, our emotional disposition and temperament should resemble new life. How relevant and important is this word to us today? I mean seriously, it saddens my heart to no end that those who claim to be Christians in America are the ones who seem to be give, getting this passage the most wrong in our culture. James is so very clear here. Believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, those saved by Jesus, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Do you hear that? Quick to listen and hear the hurts of your people, of our people, of people around you. Quick to understand and empathize. Quick to shut your mouth and be in good relationship. Slow to speak. Slow to express your thoughts and opinions. Slow to try to change someone's mind. Slow to get your point across. Slow to get angry. Slow to let what others say affect your life. Slow to fight for your right to be heard. These things don't produce the righteousness that God desires. Other translations here says the justice. Instead of righteousness, it says the word justice that God desires. If you want justice, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why does he talk about these things? Because it is in these things, not in our quiet time, not in our small group, not even in our Sunday morning attendance, do we see the measure of our Christianity. But it's in our life, our character, our responses, our relationships that we see true Christianity. It's back to that checkup thing that I mentioned earlier. How are we doing in relationship with others? Spiritual life is not meant something to be practiced privately. There are private components to spiritual life. But spiritual life is not that time when we're doing our quiet time or our family devotions or our small groups or often a retreat. Spiritual life is woven into the fabric of who we are. It's not done on Sunday mornings. It is manifest in all of our waking hours and in every relationship of life. In other words, it's an integrated, not segregated life. It's woven into the whole. Here's the thing, a segregated spirituality encourages us to live a parallel life or double life. That's a double-mindedness we heard about earlier in James. On the one hand, reading the Bible, praying occasionally, meeting with a group, doing devotions, Yet at that same time, a person living a life was essentially worldly, making worldly decisions, acting with a worldly value system, doing immoral things, um, dealing in business relationships in a way which dishonors God, living in family relationships in a way which dishonors God. That kind of parallel, parallel life is characteristic by a segregated spirituality. But James is calling for an integrated spirituality in which church and family worship and accountability partners and Bible study are all means to help you live the Christian life in Christ and to manifest your Christianity in your character and in your relationships. Some of us today, having heard what James is saying, we ought to be saying to ourselves, I've been fooling myself. I may call myself a Christian, but I'm not. If that's your reaction to James's diagnosis here, to God's diagnosis, to the word of James, there's only one thing for you to do. That's for you to run to Jesus Christ in the cross. Because you can't fix yourself. The Christian life is not an endless series of resolutions to do better. The Christian life is not turning over a new leaf. The Christian life is not the latest and greatest of self-help remedies. The Christian life is a recognition that we do not have it within ourselves, the energy, the power, the ability to change ourselves we need to look somewhere else and that somewhere else is Jesus and at the cross and when we renounce our own ability to try and change ourselves we can run to him for the grace to change and we find salvation and so if you've been fooling yourself if, if right now the words you're hearing and you're diagnosing yourself this wasn't meant to do it's a test to benefit you and in your diagnosis as you see comparing to this you are living a parallel life And the diagnosis is this, that you need to run to the cross. You need to run to Jesus. If you profess the faith but realize that you don't possess it, you need to begin by going to Jesus. This is not meant to condemn you, but to help you. For others of you, it may just be dawning on you that your view of Christianity is out of whack. And that you need a new mindset. You may be one of those people practicing a segregated spirituality. You do some of the things that are spiritual. You read your Bible. You, you occasionally say a word of prayer. But it's not permeating the rest of your life. And you realize that you need an integrated spirituality. Well, if that's you, if that's the case, you need, you need to run to God and the Holy Spirit. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to renovate, to renew the whole of your life, to change your mindset and your outlook, to give you new priorities to make sure that you're not just a Sunday morning Christian, but to live your life of faith, to worship God in all of life, even as you come to worship. For still others of you, these words may be revealing to you serious deficiencies in your own character and relationships. You may recognize that anger that James is talking about. You may recognize the lack of, of speech, the lack of being quiet, the need to talk and be heard all the time. For you, James's words ought to move you to repentance, to change, to growth, and again, you'll need the help of the Holy Spirit to grow and to change. Guys, spiritual life is not a work of a moment, it's a work of a lifetime, and James is calling us in this passage to grow in grace, to manifest new life, and to, and to not just manifest it in the private parts of life, but in all of life. Guys, true Christianity permeates all of life. And this call from James to you is use this diagnostic measure, use this test and see are you living a segregated spiritual life? And if you are, it is not true Christianity, it is not true spirituality. Live a unified life. Be one person and ask God to help you with it. Number two, true Christianity not only hears God's word, but does God's word. In verses 21 through 25, James goes on to say that true Christianity not only hears the word of God, but does the word of God. True godliness doesn't merely agree to the word of God, it lives the word of God. James reminds us in this passage true godliness involves both a negative and a positive activity. It's both active and passive. In this case, in verse 21, James states a negative activity, we're to get rid of or put aside Sin. Get rid of or put aside sin. It kind of reminds me of of Paul's word when he talks about putting off and putting on. We are also to get rid of the remnants of sin in our lives. We're to put it aside. We're to deliberately seek to expel it. At the same time, he speaks of a positive activity. And that activity is receiving the word of God, implanted, or accepting the word of God. By the word, he means the scripture, the law of God, the, the whole of scripture. And so James is speaking of the word of God as a means of grace for sanctification. It's the word of God as a means of grace for sanctification. And what in the world is sanctification? What is that word? It's a very Christian-y word. People throw it around all the time. But what does that word mean? R.C. Sproul says this, it is a continuing change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. So James is saying that the word of God is the way that God grows us. It's the instrument that God uses in our lives for us to grow in grace. Can I tell you this? I don't care how old you are, you're supposed to be growing in grace. I hate the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's not meant for us as Christians and followers of Jesus. Because it doesn't matter how old you are, the process of sanctification is happening. That's denying the power of the spirit in your life. You can't teach an old dog new tricks because God, the Spirit, is so powerful that you should be being more sanctified every day to become more like Jesus. Every one of us is on this path of sanctification, and Holy Spirit is moving in your life to make you more like Jesus. May that be all of us. Sitting under the reading of the Word of God, sitting under the proclamation of the Word of God is not merely meant to entertain us. It's not merely to interest us or to inform us. It's designed to transform us by God's grace. And just to be honest with you, our temptation here as Christians in this day and age is to be passive listeners, to sit back to be spectators in the teaching and preaching of God's word. Do you hear God's word as a spectator? Do you hear God's word as a sermon taster? Because to be honest with you guys, as a pretentious 20-something, when I was in my 20s, very pretentious, early 20s, I approached sermons as a fine wine connoisseur. I evaluated them. I critiqued them, I judged them. Was it expository enough? Was it gospel-centered enough? Did it quote the right scholars? Was I entertained? Did I both laugh and cry during it? I lost so much during those times that I didn't walk in humility, I didn't let the word of God teach me and sanctify me. I treated the word of God as a scholarly pursuit or as a means of showing my own importance and ability. How are you approaching the word of God? This is it a means of grace transforming your life, sanctifying you. When you come to the Word of God, do you come a spiritually starving believer, hungry to be fed with God, or to be fed by God, to be fed by His grace, to be fed with the truth of the Word, so that your will and your life and your mind and your heart and your character will be transformed? Do you come realizing that you need this as a means of grace, Like if you're going to walk faithfully in the days ahead, you need the Word. Do you come hungry for spiritual nourishment, looking for sanctification? James says true godliness doesn't just hear the word and doesn't say, oh, I believe that. True godliness hears the word and lives the word of God. And James gives this diagnostic for, the, for this right here in this passage. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, to be clear about this, James, in the rest of this passage, he's kind of taking stuff off of Jesus. This whole section of James is kind of taking what Jesus said after the Sermon on the Mount and this regular teaching of Jesus Christ. James needs to like, have put a footnote here at the bottom saying this whole thing was borrowed from Jesus. I'm not giving you a single original thought. This is Jesus' teaching, and James is uh, duplicating it. And if you're going to copy somebody, not a bad person can choose to copy. I mean, I'm just saying. If you're going to copy somebody, copy Jesus' teaching. I'm not saying do plagiarism, but I'm just saying if you're going to, plagiarize Jesus. And he says simply this, are we hearers and doers? Do we listen but never learn and practice? Or do we listen and live? Are our lips and our lives coordinated? Are we living double-minded lives? Or are we actually listening and doing what it says? In verses 23-24, James describes the hearer, the the one who listens, the one who just listens, doesn't learn, doesn't move, doesn't go ahead. He describes this person as someone who looks at the word of God, then goes away and forgets what was taught him. That's the hearer. He heard it. It just makes no impact. It never permeates his heart, never touches him in the deep recesses of his soul. It impacts him, but doesn't change his character or his behavior. And I love this illustration so much. What James is saying is that a true Christian, a doer of the word, knows who he is and lives it out. A double-minded person will look in said mirror and not resemble that person anymore when they walk away from it. A true Christian looks the same in and out of the mirror. Not only that, what is it that often leads us astray in this world? Often it's when we forget who we are. At least that's me. When my anxiety, my fear, my want of comfort and security get the better of me is when I forget that what I look like, when I forget who I am, when I forget who I am in God and in Christ. I need the word of God to be implanted in me so that I know that I'm a co-heir alongside Jesus, that I have known and loved and have purpose, that I am a child of God. My favorite way of understanding this comes from one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces of all time, the film The Lion King. In this classic masterpiece, the main character Simba forgets who he is. In case I have to say this, this is spoiler alert, I shouldn't have to say that because you all should have seen Lion King by now, but just in case. Simba loses his father in a tragic occurrence, I know, that chooses to forget himself rather than deal with the pain. He adopts the motto, Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Ain't no passing craze. Okay, sorry, sorry. It means no worries for the rest of your days. And Simba chooses to live by this and with this motto. What's the motto? Nothing. What's the motto with you? <laughs> You're welcome. Simba knows the truth. He knows he's the son of the king. But instead he runs away from it. He forgets himself. He has to be reminded by Rafiki, the wise baboon. Simba had to hear from his father. Simba knew who he was. He saw the mirror, but he chose to forget. And that's what we often do is we know the word, but we choose to walk away. We choose not to do it. It's like the person that looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets. Simba knew what he was meant to be and he needed to take his place in the circle of life. Great movie. What Simba was called to was called to be the son of the king. That was who he was, a beloved son of Mufasa. Guys, do we often forget when we're not doers of the word? One of the reasons is because we forget what we look like. We forget who we are. That we resemble our God and our king. In verse 25, James describes a doer, which is shorthand for the hearer and the doer. The doer, James says, looks at the law, looks at the word, and he lives by that word. He acts on that word. He lives it out. He obeys it. It frees him. It's, it's law of liberty and freedom. He, he loves it because Why? Because God had done in him what he promised to do through Jeremiah. He has written his word on his heart. So he abides in it. That word is constantly reminding him of his need for forgiveness and God's provision of that forgiveness by grace in Jesus Christ. That word is constantly reminding him of his way or for the righteousness and how to walk in it. Our obedience to the word of God or response to the word of God is a diagnostic of our spiritual condition. The test of whether you believe God's word is whether you obey it, especially when it runs counter to your desires. Do you hear that? A diagnostic, a test of whether you believe God's word is whether you obey it, especially when it runs counter to your desires. That's when you know whether you're a hearer and a doer of God's word. And true Christianity not only hears the word of God, but it does the word of God. Three, True Christianity is both vertical and horizontal. James is not finished with diagnostics. He's got another one. He says it here in verses 26 and 27. Here he teaches us that true Christianity entails both a personal devotion, this kind of vertical relationship, a personal devotion to God, and a public morality. It's a horizontal relation to the world around you. True godliness is expressed both in our inner life and in our outward practical compassion. James in these two verses gives you three more behaviors, three more activities, kind of instances by which we can get kind of an indication of a reality of our faith and our religion. Let's look at these things. They look at the tongue, looking at your compassion, and look at your separation from the world. The first one, the tongue. In verse 26, James uses the tongue as a diagnostic device for measuring the inner life and taking stock of the heart. And again, it's just what Jesus said Jesus earlier says, what comes out of a man's heart, Jesus would say, is reflected by his speech. Or in other ways, that comes out of a man's mouth issues, comes from his heart. So that our speech, our tongue, our self-control, our lack of self-control, is a manifestation, manifestation of what is in our hearts. And James just flatly says, if you do not bridle your tongue, if you don't control your tongue, you're deceiving yourselves. It's a hard word. To speak, for there are a few areas more difficult for us than to control our tongues. But that in and of itself is only symptomatic of the heart issue, the issue of the inner life that James is reminding us of. Guys, if we could take this, not just literally, not just from the words we speak, but for our day and age, if we could take this to how we deal with social media as well. You see, the tongue here isn't just the words we speak, it's also the ones we type. What is coming out of your heart onto your Twitter or your Facebook or your Instagram? Is it anger? Lack of self-control, pride, or is it compassion, forgiveness, patience, self-control, and humility? Use this diagnostic device of your tongue to see your heart. And in verse 27, he goes on to say that our compassion for those who are in need is an indication also of grace in our hearts. He's flat out saying that a Christian must care for the widow and the orphan, And if you don't, if you have no compassion for the widow and the orphan, then you must question if you have any relationship with Jesus. This is a huge diagnostic for us. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor giving you a test and the doctor is measuring the hormones to see if you're pregnant. And the test results high evidence of this hormone, you're pregnant. Listen very clearly to this, my people. Caring for the widow and the orphan doesn't make you a Christian any more than just having this hormone made you pregnant. It's a sign or a result of your salvation, just as the hormone is a sign or result of the pregnancy. Caring for the widow and the orphan, for the oppressed and the least of these, is a sign and result of your relationship with Jesus. Do you hear that? If you don't show any evidence of this sign, then maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I know that sounds like such a harsh, harsh word. It's not meant to be harsh. It's like, it's like a diagnostic test from a doctor. It sounds harsh, but it's here to help you. The test itself isn't harsh. It's meant to help you get better. It's meant to heal you. It's meant to identify the issue. And if you care nothing for orphans and widows, if there is no compassion for the oppressed and the least of these, then the test diagnostic should re- reveal that you maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you can run to him. You can go to him you can seek him out, because he's seeking you out. It was John Calvin who said, our Christianity is shown by self-denial, compassion, and well-doing to neighbors. Let me say that again. Our Christianity is shown by self-denial, compassion, and well-doing to neighbors. Do you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say it's shown by how big a sign that we can wave, or how big a flag that we can wave. It doesn't, show, it doesn't say how, how many scholars that we can quote. It doesn't say how much, how big our buildings are or what kind of, how awesome, I'm going to delete myself again, how you, that you're wearing a WWJD bracelet. It says, it's shown, John Collins says it's shown by our self-denial, our compassion, and our well doing James says it's shown by our compassion for the widows and the orphans. Looking after widows and orphans picks up on a frequent Old Testament idea. In the ancient world, with an absence of money-making possibilities for women and any kind of social services, for widows and orphans were helpless to provide for themselves. A mark of Israel's obedience, therefore, was to be a special concern for the helpless people. The Lord commanded the people, do not take advantage of a widow and orphan. And the law specified that the people were to go out of their way to provide for widows and orphans. Isaiah, actually in a passage very similar to the ones that we're reading here in James, announced that God will no longer recognize the worship of his people offer him, but instead they must repent and seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the cause of the widow. In these actions, the people of Israel will imitate God himself, who is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows. It's probably for this reason that James describes God here as Father. Notice he says, Father, one test of pure religion, therefore, is the degree to which we extend aid to the helpless in our world. James is saying, you want to see if you're really a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Take a look at the tangible compassion towards those in need. What does it say about you? What does it say about you? Take this diagnostic today. Finally, in verse 27, he goes on to say that our determination to resist worldliness in heart and action is also evidence of the inner life. Keeping oneself from being polluted by the world, you see for James, true godliness is both eternal, internal and external. James is careful not to give the impression that religion pleasing to the world consists of simply in outward actions or in social action. It's not just social, it's not just outward. The, the world is a common biblical way of referring to the kind of the ungodly worldview and lifestyle that characterize human life and the separation from God. The word translated as being polluted by the world literally means to stay spotless. James is saying that Jesus has given you a new spotless state. You are a new creation with a new life. Don't let the lies, don't let the ways of the world pollute you. And I love the word pollution here. For me, it carries this kind of feel of make dirty, but not all at one time. It's a subtle thing. It's like oh, a little bit of garbage here, a little bit of litter here, a little bit of dirty air here, a little bit of smog here. And you breathe it in. and You look around. All of a sudden, then you look and realize, oh man, I'm filthy. Keep from the subtle pollution of the world. Do you see the diagnostic here? James is shouting with all his pastorly love, all his fatherly love, all his love for his people. He's saying to his people, true Christianity is about both your personal devotion and your outward application. It's about your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with people. He's saying to his people, do not forget who you are in Christ. You are a beloved child of God. You're redeemed and made into a new creation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a kingdom advancers. You are Christians. Live like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you care so much for us, that you don't leave us in a state where you only care about what we do outwardly or inwardly, but you care about the whole person. God, that you've called us to this incredible vertical relationship with you, but you also call us to this amazing horizontal relationship. that's not just about personal devotion to you, but it's also about social responsibility and outward application of the love you've given us. God, we thank you that you can call us and by your grace and by your spirit, you implant your word into us so that we no longer have to be a segregated person, that we can be a fully integrated person and not leave double lives and not forget what we look like in the mirror, but instead live in the reality of who you are what you call us to be, followers of Jesus who changed the world around us. Thank you for your grace and for your love. God, may we be truly followers of you, Jesus, that changed this world for your glory, and in your name we pray. Amen.